now is the time for us to show how social entrepreneurship really is the way forward. Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast. I am Alberto Ligi, your host from London. And as a regular guest now, the purpose of the podcast is to inspire you to be more philanthropic, to act more sustainably and to embrace social entrepreneurship. Please subscribe to the podcast. It makes a huge difference for us. It's very much appreciated in advance. And today we're talking about social entrepreneurship. We have Mark Norbury on board today. He is the Chief Executive Officer of Unlimited. And Unlimited is a UK-based organization. They support social entrepreneurship and social entrepreneurs here in the UK. They've helped out about 20,000 social entrepreneurs since 2002. They have an endowment of 150 million pounds, turnover of 8 million, and about 75 people on the team. And they support social entrepreneurs in a variety of ways, advice, coaching, networking, practical support, finance. So, Mark, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on board. Welcome. Thank you, Alberto. Great to be here. Yeah, that's my pleasure. And social entrepreneurship is a topic very close to my heart. And I know it's very vibrant here in the UK. And indeed, it's growing elsewhere on this planet of ours. Tell us a little bit about Unlimited. You're the chief executive. And um, what's it all about? Yeah, I've been there for about three and a half years. Um, we're the leading supporter of social entrepreneurs in the UK. We were founded back in 2002 to inspire a generation uh, to become social entrepreneurs. And so we started with a lot of early stage kind of startup uh, funding and advice and coaching for social entrepreneurs, people who wanted to try it out. They might have been a nurse. They might have been a community activist. They might have been in banking. Mm -hmm. People coming from a wide range of spheres, but they wanted to make a difference. They had come up with a practical solution to an issue they saw and they wanted to tackle it. And we were there to back them and not just back them with grant funding, but also with that all important non-financial, which was building up their confidence, their skills, their networks, and just making it that much easier for them to realize their visions of social change. Uh -huh. And uh, so in the last year, we backed 450 uh, social entrepreneurs, 30% of them were BME, 59% of them were, were women, diverse entrepreneurs from ethnic minorities. Uh, and what we often find is that in terms of geographies, the people we're backing tend to be in those areas of highest deprivation in the UK. Mm -hmm. And while the UK economy uh, does very well, of course, we've seen a big increase in income inequality and there are areas of substantial deprivation. And one of the things that we find really important is finding and backing individuals who are very rooted either in the community or in the social issue that they're trying to address. And we call that lived experience. So it might be people who've themselves experienced homelessness, mental health issues, discrimination, mm -hmm. or significant unemployment. And that insight, that those challenges that they face enable them to have kind of an authenticity and a passion and conviction around what they're trying to do, as well as a really powerful market understanding. And also it, it drives that entrepreneurial edge where you, you don't take no for an answer. So you just keep on mobilizing resources, making things happen because you know how important what you're trying to do is because you've been there and you've come out the other side. So it's a, a really powerful motivator. Yeah. In fact, well, one of the things we find is that 
83% of our social entrepreneurs felt more able to act for social change as a result of our support. And 93% of them were growing their impact and turnover uh-huh. as a result of our support. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Wonderful. So entrepreneurial spirit, it's something that I hold in very high esteem. Uh, but tell me a little yeah. bit about social entrepreneurship. And it's a, def- you know, it's, a, it's a term that comes around a lot. And I hear many different definitions of what exactly is a social entrepreneur. There doesn't seem to be a consensus. And I'd be really keen to understand your view of what social entrepreneurship is. How is that defined in your eyes in unlimited size? Well, for me and for unlimited, we're very relaxed about a tight definition because mm-hmm. we don't think it's about what legal structure you have. We think it's about whether social impact is your primary purpose, the primary purpose of your business or organization, but that it also has a sustainable business model and that you have a growth mindset. And if you combine those three things of social impact, sustainable business model and growth mindset, then I think you have a lot of the ingredients that you need to really tackle social issues with practical solutions that the market will uh, adopt. Uh uh So in the UK, you can have a community interest company that's asset locked, or you can have a traditional charity, or you can indeed have a company limited by shares, but one that is pursuing purpose, has a mission lock embedded in its articles of association. All of those would be organizations or structures that we would be happy to support if the social entrepreneur was right. So what we really care about is leadership, mission, impact and sustainability. And and people, you know, if you imagine a Venn diagram with those four things, the people who are in the kind of the section, the intersection of all of four elements, those are the people who really go far, we find. And how does somebody secure your support or even get onto your radar? It's as simple as... Um, for those online, www.unlimited.org.uk, and there you can find lots of information. It's an open process to uh-huh. apply for an award. We have a trial award, which where you, if you just got an idea, and that's a £500 award. We have a do-it award, which is a year's support, £5,000 of funding, where you've, you've got your idea, but you want to pilot something and really make sure it works. Uh-huh. And then we've got a grow it award, which is a £15,000 uh, of cash with again a year's support but that support is less about the development of the social leader and much more about the development of the organization its business model and so forth mm-hmm. um, and then after that we have uh, accelerators and investment funds social investment funds uh, for those organizations that are high impact and high growth that we think are really going to go places in terms of addressing the social issue they're going after. Fascinating. Fascinating. And so those first three grant levels, they are grants, are they? They're just... Yeah, they're grants. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. So you can... um, One of the things that social entrepreneurs tell us is actually how important us basically just backing the individual and giving them core funding effectively Mm -hmm. has been to them. Because many... Most funding has to be to an organization um, and it's usually to a project or program. And we're very clear that we're backing the individual. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. The grant goes straight into their 
kind of bank account. And of course, they have to account for it with our award managers. Sure. But basically, uh, we're backing them and their idea and the, the, the business proposition that they mapped out in and applying for the award. Mm hmm. And these um, these applicants, they, as you mentioned earlier, I imagine they can be both for profit, not for profit. That in that in that sense, you're agnostic on what their their actual incorporation structure is. Correct. Right. And uh, and on the uh, slightly higher up on the on the chain, you mentioned about social investment uh, accelerators, yeah. and so uh, then are you getting into sort of debt investment? Yes, it's mainly debt. We have made a couple of equity investments, and obviously, uh, for those, we're more likely to be investing in uh, profit with purpose or companies limited by shares type mm -hmm. of ventures. Whereas with debt, uh, particularly blended uh, debt that's blended finance with, so it has a, an element of grant in it to mm -hmm. so an element of subsidy included. Then that definitely goes to a lot of uh, kicks as well as uh, companies limited by share. So kick being a community interest company. Mm -hmm. Great. So uh, I'd say we, we have a three million pound debt fund uh, in partnership with Access Foundation. Mm -hmm. And we tend to make loans of between 50 and 150,000 pounds. Right. Um, and the grant element of that enables the effective interest rate to be about 8%. Mm -hmm. um, and they get a one-year repayment holiday, etc. Right. Um, but the, the really important thing about any investment that we make is we've only entered the world of social investment because we don't think there are the investment products out there for social entrepreneurs. And we want to really be supporting social entrepreneurs. And that's our primacy. You know, That's what we care about and are best at. The investment is subordinate to that. And so one of the key things for our debt fund is the four years of post-investment support that every social venture taking out that debt capital would get from us. And that support is, is quite multifaceted. You know, it has to have enough flexibility to be responsive to where the entrepreneur is at, what markets they're serving, what social issue they're trying to address how much evidence of impact they already had, whether they've done a cost-benefit analysis, how strong their team is, how robust their governance is, whether they want to grow organically or through um, a, a more capital injection type of growth. And so, you know, we, we have to have enough range in the team that they can cover off most of those areas to a certain degree sure and of course then what we're going to do is we're going to bring in specialist expertise if we can't address a particular area ourselves then we'll bring in other experts who can excellent excellent one of the um one of the topics that seems to come up a lot in conversation when i'm speaking to individuals who are dabbling with impact investing uh it's just the whole deal flow origination and uh, so in your case you seem to have a lot of traction with entrepreneurs like you said you know, you've supported about 20,000 social entrepreneurs. Question for you is, if somebody's listening to this show and they are philanthropically minded or interested in getting into the sort of impact investing world and uh, unlimited as an organization, do you take funding from external sources as well? If somebody were inclined yeah. to, wh wh tell me a little bit about unlimited structure yeah, so and how you engage you, with external. You mentioned at the start that we've got 150 million pound endowment. Mm -hmm. That, that, it generates just over 
five million a year. Okay. That, that supports our early stage awards and support. Mm-hmm. But as you also mentioned, we have a turnover of eight million. So the the so basically every year we're trying to raise between two and a half to three million pounds from external partners. I understand. And mostly those partners or supporters are uh, corporations, foundations, and high net worth individuals. Got it. And so, uh, for example, in our access to employment initiative, uh, we have a family office. We have a corporation, UBS, uh, and we have a charity, actually, Scope, which is a leading Uh UK disability charity, who are all partnering us, as well as uh, another great organization, City and Guilds, which does a lot of uh, adult education and learning and and apprenticeships and so on. So those uh, organizations between them are supporting us. But, But to get the whole thing started, we were reliant on three individuals coming forward and between them giving us 250,000 pounds to get that whole thing going. And then off the back of the track record we developed there, then you can get another few million from partners who understand exactly what you're going to try and do because you've piloted it already. So that, that tends to be quite often how it works. But yes, we're always keen to see if we can be supportive of philanthropists' goals and aspirations and, and find out how we can make that work. It sounds like you've had a wonderful journey since 2002 from those three individuals and a quarter of a million pounds to, uh, to a £150 million endowment and, uh, and 20,000 social entrepreneurs. We were fortunate. We were set up with a £100 million endowment. So that. All right. So I was talking about our access to employment initiative, which was set okay. up with these three individuals. I understand. Um, but you're right. I mean, uh, and, and the nice thing is we've got a balance of being able to take some risk on who we support. So you talked about origination. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's really tough in, in finding really innovative, disruptive solutions is, you know, if you don't have that kind of infrastructural cushion, you can't take as much risk on individuals. Mm-hmm. We're lucky that we can, which is why we can make grants. So, so what, how we use that endowment and the, the grants that we can give off of that is effectively taking risk on behalf of the whole sector on 20,000 individuals. Uh-huh. And so I, I don't see it as our pipeline, as it were. I, I see it as the country's pipeline um, yes. of talent and social leadership um, because that's why we were set up by the Millennium Commission, which was a joint endeavour between uh, the lottery and the UK government. Mm. So in that sense, if we're looking at the whole sector, you must be quite engaged with other stakeholders. Yeah. Yeah, we try to um, uh, – I chair something called the Inclusive Economy Partnership, which uh-huh. is a, a government initiative bringing together business, civil society, and uh, government – to try and address uh, three main issues. Mental health at work is one of them. Financial Mm -hmm. inclusion is another. And another is transitions to work for young people. And there, hopefully, we can bring in other social entrepreneurship partners to support that. We're also involved in something called uh, the Coalition on the Future of Social Investment, Mm -hmm. where we're trying to understand how we get the whole market to be that much more evidence-based, collaborative, 
and really clear on the effectiveness and value of support to social entrepreneurs. So that's primarily a kind of a applied R&D stroke collaboration initiative Mm -hmm. with lots of sector partners, really good organizations like the Access Foundation, Young Foundation, um, Social Enterprise UK, School for Social Entrepreneurs, lots of organizations in the sector. Fascinating. Fascinating, fascinating. Tell me, how um, how did you get into all of this? Well, I knew from a very early age that I was very lucky. I I grew up in a, a loving home. Uh-huh. And I was uh, provided with a great education. And what I realized quite early on was that that this was luck, right? Sure. You know, I hadn't done anything particularly to deserve this. And that also meant that it was not particularly fair that I was uh, having access to stuff that others did not have access to. Um and also I realized, particularly in the UK society being what it is, that that gave me an awful lot of influence and, and access to wealth and so on. And that with that came a real responsibility. And mm-hmm. that responsibility was to try and even things out and to try and enable uh, people who hadn't had the good fortune I had to um, to realize their talent and express it fully. And so... I always knew I wanted to work in generating social impact. Mm -hmm. To begin with, I did that. I I began, after university, I began uh, volunteering at the Red Cross. And so I volunteered at the Red Cross, which was a great environment to to almost an apprenticeship environment, right? Because I could try and dabble in lots of different areas of work, both UK, but get a sense of international because of the the International Federation of Red Cross, etc., And and then I, I dabbled in sort of various fundraising and marketing roles in UK charities. After about seven years, I figured that there wasn't quite enough. I mean, I loved the purpose and many and and all the people and their values that that I was working alongside, but I didn't feel that people were necessarily ambitious enough for social change. And I also thought that the sector as a whole tolerated mediocrity in a way I found quite painful. Um, and so, you know, I, I was keen on pursuit of scale, pursuit of excellence and, and really pushing ourselves a bit more. Um, then an opportunity came to to join INSEAD, the, the uh-huh. business school for the world, which you and I both know well. Yes. And um, I started off in their development team. And then after a while, I decided I needed to do an executive MBA and then as I was coming to the end of my executive MBA, they asked me to run that program. And that was great. So I was, you know, I'd been in UK charities and very domestically focused. But uh-huh. at INSEAD, I was running our efforts in US and Canada, then in the Netherlands and the UK. And then uh, with the executive MBA, it was a truly global program. We had a joint venture with a Chinese university, Tsinghua. Uh, we were running things across the, both the French and the Singaporean campuses. And, you know, it was an incredibly rich environment in which to learn and to understand the role of business um, without itself necessarily being a business. It's still a nonprofit. But I learned so much. And the executive MBA was a fantastic education as well. And I loved them being able to kind of offer that out to other people. But all the while, I was kind of conscious that in that environment, you're making a lot of very globally minded, well-off, well-educated people 
even more global, even better off and even better educated. Uh And that struck me as not quite enough. And so I helped found the INSEAD Social Innovation Center. Um, We had some great people, academics, donors, uh, staff who came together to, to run this social entrepreneurs program and do a whole variety of research and teaching initiatives that were much more of the social entrepreneurship feel that were all about generating social impact and the purpose of, of business in society. Uh, and so I really enjoyed doing that kind of moonlighting while I was doing the executive MBA role. Um, but then I, I needed to go and join a social enterprise, actually who had been partnering in Seattle. That was uh, an organization called Leaders Quest, which is a fantastic organization. Um, again, leadership, uh, but purpose-driven leadership around the world. So I was responsible for Brazil and, and Africa, amongst other things. And so again, lots of lots of learning and uh, development opportunities there. Uh, and then I, that was from the UK, we'd moved back. We had three young kids by then. And so um, after, I guess, 11, 12 years of doing an awful lot of travel, it was time to have a to revert to a more domestic focus. And then I, uh, I've run a couple of UK uh, charities, foundations yeah. since then. Welcome back to the UK, Mark. Yeah, yeah. Tell me, uh, well, that's fascinating narrative and journey. I, re- really interesting. Tell me about, um, so at Unlimited, all these various uh, organizations that you're supporting. Yeah. One of the ones that I've heard about, uh, which seems like an interesting um, case study to drill into a little bit is uh, Harry Specters. Yeah. And love to hear a little bit more about that specific instance and how you guys have uh, have helped them along and what that journey was all about. Yeah, Harry Specters is a fantastic organization founded by Mona Anas Shah. Uh-huh. And uh, Mona set it up really because, well, their son has autism uh-huh. and they knew, they understood how difficult it was finding their son a, a job that would be right for him and that he would find really engaging and be able to really contribute. Um, and they, Mona was just trying things out and she, she found that making chocolate can be a task that's really suitable if you're on uh, the autistic spectrum because it's a lot of very high precision work and there's a lot of r- routine repetitive tasks so maintaining that precision and quality of time is really important and so harry specters is a fantastic chocolate business where the team essentially are people on the autistic spectrum. It creates employment opportunities for them. Uh, last year, in 2018, they they made 240,000 chocolates. They were a 200,000 uh, pound organization. But since 2013, they've given 120 people with autism uh, the chance to, to work or do work experience. And when you consider that in, our, in the UK, say about 70% of people uh, with autism aren't employed. Mm-hmm. Um, many of those could be employed and actually have distinct high value skills to offer. But the cost of not employing them is about 45,000 pounds per person per head. So as soon as you're getting them, developing their skills, giving them a job, getting them on that path to employment, you're making an enormous 
contribution to the economy. And Unlimited was able to support Harry Spector's first through our accelerator, the Big Venture Challenge. Okay. And and at the end of that, they they raised investment for a new factory in Cambridge where they're based. Uh, and then off the back of that, they've enjoyed some real success. Uh, they got a lot of coverage in business journals like The Economist, The Times, FT, because it appeals to people because it's a it's a really there's no compromise on the quality of the product. They are absolutely fantastic, indulgent, luxurious chocolates, but they at their core generate impact and really meaningful impact. And so um, they've since grown further. We were able to to make a give them provide them with some debt. £150,000 worth of, of debt over a five-year period, 10, 10% of that was actually grant. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we found is that for every one pound that Harry Spector spends on making their chocolates, they not only do they return that one pound, but they add an extra £1.35 to up to £2 worth of social and economic value to the UK. If you consider you know, the savings for those young people who are no longer uh, taking UK government benefits, the respite for the families and carers of young people with autism, as well as the, obviously the direct income for those families. Um, and so, you know, it's a really exciting business. It's growing fast. It's doing really well. They've just opened their first retail outlet in Cambridge in time for Christmas. So if you do have a chance, Albert, and you're, the family are... Uh, not yet catered for with Christmas presents. I'm going to have to sample. I'm going to hop on the train tomorrow. Boxes of chocolates. You can still get them delivered in time if you do it now. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, it's one of those interventions that's in depth, right? So Mm -hmm. they don't reach millions of people, but for the hundreds of people that they do, they make an enormous difference. And for the economy and our society, that is has a very substantial economic benefit. I love the fact that it's a relationship that isn't just a one-off transaction, but it seems to be both parties getting acquainted with each other, growing together and engaging at a more substantive level with each iteration. That's a, that's a, a good spot. I think it's one of the interesting things about working with social entrepreneurs, and you'll know this, Alberto, is that they are... Extraordinary people. They're inspiring. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you always want to find a way to to support them throughout whatever the next phase of growth or evolution of their organization and themselves as an individual, as a leader. Um, And Shaz and and Mona have been fantastic to work with. And they're really, really uh, supportive and unlimited as well as us hopefully being able to support them. That's amazing. Must feel very good to be able to work together with them. Tell me, in terms of the next 10 years, so I've sort of seen the journey from 2002 till now. What are you, um, what's on the horizon for Unlimited, for Mark? What's, uh, yeah. what's the next 10, 10 years look like? What's success look like to you in the next 10 years? So for Unlimited, we're certainly going to keep on that core of finding, funding and supporting social entrepreneurs. That's a given. I think what we need to do beyond that we need to go that much further in breaking down the barriers that those entrepreneurs face, mm-hmm. whether it's access to capital, access to specialist expertise, evidencing their impact, accessing 
markets, all the sorts of things that they need to really be able to achieve scale. Because we know that not as many ventures as we would like have reached the scale we would like yet. A lot of the businesses we're backing are still small or micro businesses, even if they're fantastic, impressive businesses. Mm -hmm. And so breaking down those barriers to growth becomes incredibly important. But then beyond that, it's also shifting the system in which those barriers exist. So it's about what we're doing around market education and and policy and developing an infrastructure that's really supportive and sustainable. That's a lot of, of, of where we're going to go. One of the interesting areas, I think, for us is, I mentioned right at the start that we, we back people with lived experience. Mm-hmm. I, I think that is going to become a defining feature for us over the next 10 years. And, and that's not just, that's going to require us to adapt how we offer support, how we do our outreach into communities. You just mentioned with with Mona and Harry Spectres the importance of the long-term relationship. So if you're working with people with lived experience, our society is set up with substantial barriers, structural barriers for them. And so we have to challenge circumvent, overcome, break down, whatever you call it, barriers, whether it's discrimination, just shifting power, shifting privilege, so that these fantastic emerging social leaders have a chance to really win out um, because the dice are heavily loaded against them. So we're going to have to work in partnership, that means, because we can't be an expert in everything, right? So we need to work with other organizations who have that much more policy expertise or who have that much more systems change expertise or who are really great at addressing barriers in terms of disability or race or sexuality or indeed who are really challenging uh, socioeconomic orthodoxy. And so that the wraparound uh, that enables our social entrepreneurs to thrive is going to become more and more important. And that shifts our resourcing because managing all of that, it becomes a more labor intensive, specialized task. And so we're, we're working that through and what our business model for the next five years might be um, as part of that. Well, um, that sounds great. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's exciting. And I think the UK is incredibly well set uh, for this because, as you said, it it has been a market that has had loads of investment, has been a pioneer in social investment and social entrepreneurship in many ways. I think that's slightly hit a a plateau for a few years, and I think we've become a bit complacent. And I think now is the time for us to show how social entrepreneurship really is the way forward. I mean, it is the most exciting opportunity, whether you're a business or a charity, or I think a public service body, the benefits of combining impact and sustainability and scale with really great leadership are there for any sector. Absolutely. There is a massive opportunity in the UK. And I think you're seeing that with the growth of impact and social investment funds. You're seeing it 
with the, you know, the whole venture philanthropy sector and how that's flourishing. And yet we still need to do more. Well, good challenge to, uh, to kick off the next decade with. Yeah. Before we wrap things up, key takeaway for our listeners, if they forgot everything we've been talking about for the last half hour, but remembered one salient point after the podcast, what would that be? Bring together leadership, impact, sustainability, and purpose in whatever realm you're in and things you'll give it your best. Excellent. Wonderful. Well, Mark, look, it has been a real pleasure having you on the show today and learning from you and hearing a little bit about your personal journey and that of Unlimited. To our listeners, I say keep on listening and please do subscribe. makes a huge difference to us. Mark, thank you very much and continued success to you and to the team. And I wish you all the very best for the holidays and for the new year as well. Thank you so much, Alberto. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Do One Better podcast. If you want to find out more about our show, about our guests, additional links and resources, visit our website at liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I dot org. And don't forget, success at the Do One Better podcast is about inspiring you to be more philanthropic, to think more about sustainability, and to embrace social entrepreneurship. Hopefully these stories will encourage you to take action and change the world around you for the better.